Our Bible reading tonight is taken from Revelation chapter 5. We'll commence reading at verse 1. Revelation chapter 5, a reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear the word of God. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who was worthy to open the book and to list the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text tonight is found in Revelation chapter 5. And the verse 10, it reads as follows, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now this evening I've entitled this message, Pondering the Priesthood of All Believers. Now this of course is Reformation Sunday, 
And I have sought the Lord for two doctrines today that I believe are relevant to the Protestant Reformation. I have no need to remind you these are dark days. These are difficult times for the true church of Jesus Christ. These are days when there's a real threatening attempt to reverse and undo the cause of the great Protestant Reformation. You and I need to be aware of that, and we need to be prepared to seek to oppose it. And one of the ways that we oppose this attempted reversal of the Reformation is to set forth relevant truths of the Reformation period. Now, I believe, of course, that we need another Reformation. I believe that we need men with the ministry and the might of the great mighty reformers. Where is and are the Martin Luthers of today, the the John Calvins, the Uric Zingleys, the the John Knoxes, and a host of others? (coughs) Do you know that there's a monument in Worms in Germany called Luther's Monument? And Martin Luther stands in the center See, you've got to think of Martin Luther as one of the central figures of Reformation time because he was the monk that shook the world. 31st of October, 1517, an important date when he nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. 95 reasons as he protested against the Pope, the sale of indulgences, and the doctrine of the church. That monument's like a castle, Because in four of the corners, with Luther in the center, stands a bronze statue of a man called Peter Waldo. He died in 1205. A man called John Wycliffe. He died in 1384. A man called John Huss. He died in 1415. And Lamo He also died in 1884. Here's this group of four men. And their effigy is in the form of a a, a bronze statue. And as I've said with Luther in the middle, Luther has the Bible in his hand. Now inside that there's other statues, bronze of course, and these men are all seated representing men of the state. It just reminds me of Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. Luther is dressed in the robe of a preacher, He holds the Bible in his left hand and his right hand and his fist rests upon the open book. A posture of courage and determination. It's as if he's repeating like he did in April um, 1521. Here I stand, I can do none other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So help me God. Amen. Now, Luther's monument was unveiled on the 25th of June, 1868. There was 20,000 people in attendance. Now, barely are these men known today. Barely do we know who these men are and all that they stood for and what they did during their lifetime. But I want to tell you this. We have entered into the fruit of their labors Our lives have been blessed because of the stand that these men took. Do you know tonight that they stood for political liberty? Do you know that we are now ruled and these countries in Europe are ruled by a parliamentary system rather than an imperial imposed tyrannical rule of of, of a pope or dictator? 
Do you know these men stood for educational liberty? These men believed in a free education for all children, not just the privileged few children. These men believed in economic liberty because these men stood for the right of individual to purchase land or to purchase a house or to own a mill or a factory or a shop, not just the privileged landed gentry. These men stood for human liberty. They believed in free civil and religious liberty for all. The liberty of a conscience. The liberty of free speech. The right of an individual because that individual is made in the image of God. But they also stood primarily for spiritual liberty. They believed that individuals could call upon by God to repent. Individuals be called to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior freely offered to them in the gospel. Penitents were told of a full and free and forever pardon for every sin. They were promised that, that they could be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. That they could enjoy a right relationship with God. That they were told of the fact of being redeemed by blood. That they would enjoy a personal um, relationship with God. And a personal fellowship with God. These men believed in a full and free and forever justification before God in the ground of the blood of Christ. For every sinner who repents and believes the gospel. These men believed in the individual right to the open Bible. The individual's right to read the Bible and study the Bible in his own language. These men believed in the right of private interpretation. These men believed that salvation was by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. But let me tell you one other thing they believed. They also believed in the universal priesthood of every believer. And that's what I want to think about tonight. I want to think about pondering the priesthood of every believer. Three things. The wonderful origin of the priesthood of all believers. Look at our text. It says, and has made us unto our God. Notice the words, kings and priests. Now you see, these men that I've mentioned and thousands of others and godly women and godly young people, when they read the Bible, they came to this conclusion. No priest but Christ. No sacrifice but Calvary. No confessional but the throne of grace. No authority but the word of God. You see, when they read the Bible, they discovered that the preacher, the minister, the prophets in the New Testament were never identified as being among an elite group of men designated as priests. What did they find? Let's read the Bible. Turn over there to um, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says this, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins and his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father 
To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And the last reference, Revelation 5, verse 10. And hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. They thought of these words. Ye are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. He hath made us kings and priests unto our God. Thinking of the words in Revelation 5 and 10, and we shall reign in the earth. They, they discovered that ministers are not called priests, but that every born-again believer, in a general sense, is part of a universal priesthood unto God. So they discovered from the word that there's no special office of a man or a group of men known as priests. I want to say tonight, I say respectfully, with love in my heart for Roman Catholic people, that the Roman Catholic Church and its priesthood, it's false and unscriptural. You see, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that all members of the clergy, the Pope, the Cardinals, the Archbishops, the Bishops, the Canons, the Parish Priests, they all act and designate it as ministering priests. I'm not a ministering priest. I'm a ministering preacher of the word of God. And there's a difference. If we were to read the 1994 Roman Catholic Church Catechism, in chapter 15 in the section 48, we read these words. In the ecclesiastical service, it is Christ himself who is present. So the Church of Rome teaches that it is because of the ordination of the priest, the ordained priest, by virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, that he stands to minister in the place of Christ. Not only in behalf of Christ, but in the place of Christ. That is in the um, sacerdotal coronation to the priesthood. The priest is given the power and the right and the authority to act in the place of Christ. And in the later section, section 51 in the same chapter, the sacrament of the holy order communicates a sacred power to the individual priest, which is not his power, but Christ. Now that sounds nice, but I want to tell you tonight that is not true. That is not biblical. Now think of this. And I put it very simply. You think of the individual priest standing to perform the mass. You think of him conducting a funeral. Performing a wedding. Engaging in a baptismal service. Conducting a funeral. Observes maybe a holy day or a holy rite. According to the teaching of the Church of Rome, it's not him really there. It is Christ who is there. Now, do you get the picture? That's what a ministering priest is. That's what the Church of Rome believes. Now, we believe that as a minister of the Word of God, we merely represent Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ, but we're not actually him. We don't turn into him. We don't become him. And there's a vast difference. 
Roman Catholic Church teaches that the priest, as he performs this role, becomes Jesus Christ. And the Roman Catholic priesthood has no foundation or scriptural basis. It's a devilish lie. And I believe it's a devilish power to try and control the laity and to keep its people faithful to the dogmas and devotion to the mother church because their life is governed by the priest from their birth right to their death. And many, sadly, are kept in bondage and fear. How far different is the teaching of the New Testament? Let me make it clear tonight that there's only one great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Remember he told us in Matthew 24, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. The teaching of the Bible is this, that every believer are given the honor of being part of a universal priesthood unto God, of approaching into the holy presence of God and being accepted by him and having an audience with him and asking him for things. If you turn there to the book of Hebrews, we thought about this this morning. Let me just point out something that I didn't mention this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The word boldness means confidence to enter in. You see, in the Old Testament, there was no right of approach for the individual. It was the exclusive right of Aaron as the high priest and others who were in that Levitical priesthood. And they could only enter once a year into the holiest of all. And they had to come with the blood and sprinkle that blood in the mercy seat. And and they had little bells, remember, on their garments. And, And as the high priest would have moved about, they could hear the tinking of the bell to know that he hadn't died. And then, of course, they've seen him emerge. But in the New Testament, Hebrews 10 and 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness or confidence to enter into the holiest high by the blood of Jesus. Now, every individual in Christ has this right, this blessing. Every born-again believer in Christ can approach into the presence of God. And find acceptance with God because he's in Christ. And have an audience with God. And not only access, but but ask God for things. The Old Testament high priest, the other priests were full of fear. Afraid they might die. But now here's the contrast. We have a holy boldness. Why? How? Well, the holy substitute has come. A full atonement for sin has been made. A full satisfaction has been made. Here's the proof, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The ascension to glory. His re-entrance into heaven, sitting at the Father's right hand. Now his ministry of intercession, all in the basis of his blood sacrifice for sin. The Lord Jesus didn't institute a priestly elite. Instead, he instituted the office of the teaching elder, the ruling elder. He charged us to preach the word. That's what the Reverend McVeigh and I do, or try to do. To pray for the congregation. To dispense the sacraments. And to practice in church order and discipline. Sadly, we stand in contrast to the priesthood 
as organized by the Church of Rome. And I believe, as I've said, it was deliberately designed to keep the masses living in fear. The masses of Roman Catholics believe tonight, I need a priest to help me in every stage of life from my birth to my death. But the only high priest that they need is Jesus Christ. And here's the New Testament. Four references, 1 Peter 2 and 5, 1 Peter 2 and 9, Revelation 1, 5 and 6, Revelation 5 and 10. And there's no other priesthood. There's a general priesthood of believers. Christ's priesthood is unique and special. But every believer in Christ is chosen and called to function as a priest via being in Christ, via his union with Christ. We are designated a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. We have been made by the blood sacrifice of Christ, kings and priests unto God. Now that's the wonderful origin of the priesthood of all believers. Secondly, and quickly, the working offerings of the priesthood of all believers. You see, in this universal priesthood, there's a ministry performed. There's a, a job and a task to do. If you go back there to um, Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, and look at the reference there, it says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. If we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices, then we're not mere spectators, are we? We're not passive participants in this universal priesthood. We, we haven't been called to sit and do nothing. We have been called upon as part of being in this royal holy priesthood to do something. And what are we to do? We're to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Let's think of some of those sacrifices at the moment. What about the sacrifice of Penitence. Turn over there to Psalm 51. Look with me at verse 17. Psalm 51, verse 17. Listen to the word of God tonight. This is a penitential psalm of David after his backslidden state of 11 months. This is the psalm through which he was restored to God. And he said this in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. You see, it's coming before God in true humility. It's coming before God in a state of brokenness. It's coming before God burdened with the mindset, I am nothing and I have nothing and I can do nothing to recommend me to God. This is the chiefest of all sacrifices, recognizing our true state and condition before God. And remembering that state and condition. And maintaining that true spirit of contrition and humility. Never ever will we get past the point of being sinners or big sinners before God. Never forget. Remember what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 66 and in the verse 2. I, I think of it often. But to this man will I look, even to him that's poor, and of a contrite spirit, and who trembleth at my word. Oh, for a heart that is broken. A heart, yes, that's enlightened, but it needs to be broken. 
a contrite and a humble heart, with a longing for the Lord, with a crying out for him, have mercy upon me. On the ground of the blood, how did the psalm start out in Psalm 51? Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. So there's a sacrifice of penitence. That's what we offer. There's also the sacrifice of prayer. Turn to another psalm. Psalm 141 this time. Let's read together verses 1 and 2. Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what the psalmist said. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Here's another chief sacrifice of every child of God. Do you know that tonight that the Lord Jesus is in heaven? And he's praying for you as one of his children. Oh, he prayed on earth, but he also prays in heaven. Well, how do I know that he prays in heaven? Well, that's what the Bible teaches. Remember what we read in Hebrews chapter 7 and in the verse 25. It says this, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. And that ought to thrill your heart. As I preach tonight, I can pray in my spirit and cry, Lord, help me. Lord, give me strength. Give me grace and, and wisdom. Why? Because I have direct access to heaven at all times. Isn't it wonderful to have direct access to God? Remember what we read in Ephesians 2 and verse 18? For through him we both have access by one spirit. Unto the Father. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. You're urged to pray. You're urged to make your needs known. It's a privilege to pray. And you can pray in private in your home. In a secret closet. And you ought to. You can pray in public. And you ought to have a desire to pray at home and a desire to pray in the house of God together with the people of God. Never ever reach the place where you think there's no need for you to pray privately or in public. The Lord rue the day when any in the free church would say, we now have reached a place where there's no need for the prayer meeting in the church. Maybe I'll press at home. When was the last time you were in the prayer meeting? Years, months, weeks. You profess Christ, but you're never in the prayer meeting. You see, you don't realize that you're not fulfilling your role as a New Testament priest. And if you take that universal priesthood seriously, then you'll not only offer the sacrifice of penitence with a broken and a contrite heart, but you'll offer the sacrifice of prayer. What about the sacrifice of praise? Turn over there to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Sorry, Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, that's Jesus Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do you know many, I don't go to football matches. I have no interest in sport whatsoever. I'm not 
picking a wee dig at those that have an interest in sport. But I, 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 I'm amazed at their energy. Football match, rugby match. And they're really cheering the team on, almost to the point that they're tired and they're hoarse. And I would think to myself, well, somewhere in the house of God, channel that same energy into praising the Lord as you sing the songs of Zion. This sacrifice of praise is not just for the one or two. It's for the whole collective body of God's people. We're, we're talking about the sacrifices of praises. It's, it's plural. The, the whole company of saints. The Lord's people together full of a spirit of praise. Do you know what the Lord Jesus sang a hymn on the night before he died? Remember he left the upper room. He was then went to Gethsemane, the agonizing season of prayer. And then he was arrested, taken to the house of the high priest Caiaphas, then to the judgment hall of Herod, then to Pontius Pilate, then back to Herod. And then he was taken to the cross at Calvary, where he poured out his life unto death. He sang praises. And you know, tonight as we sing praise to God, let's remember the Father is fully satisfied. Let's remember there's been a, a complete and full redemption. Let's remember that the Lord Jesus did all that was needed to be done to destroy the works of the devil and conquer sin, hell, the grave, and death. And all that he did is irreversible work. He came to do the will of God. He came to see the travel of his soul. He was satisfied. Do you know tonight he's singing in heaven? He says, I will joy over thee with singing. Remember the parable of the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son? Rejoice with me in the sheep that was lost. Rejoice with me in the silver. Rejoice with me in the sun. You see, there, there's rejoicing in heaven in the very presence of the angels. And who's doing the singing? It has to be the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can you think of the Lord Jesus singing in heaven over his church, over penitent sinners with a broken spirit? What moves us to sing? Whether you're a bad singer or a, a blessed singer, your heart should be motivated by the love of Christ and the joy that the Lord has over his people. You think of the words in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, and eventually we'll get round to preaching on it when we study this chapter. But listen to these words. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns with spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What about the sacrifice of practical provision? Over there in uh, Philippians at chapter 4 and verse 18, the, the apostle Paul said this. Think of these words. Philippians 4 and verse 18 but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You see, practical help to aid the cause of Christ was sent by saints through Epaphroditus to Paul. What was that? I don't believe it was perfume. It was probably a, a monetary gift, but Paul said it was a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. You see, it's the Lord that sits at the treasury. The Lord sees the widow's mate. The Lord sees the larger gifts. Remember he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when you give, you're like God. 
And you're giving in a spirit of love and a guarantee of sacrifice. Don't ever be guilty of robbing the Lord of the tithe. Don't ever rob the Lord of anything. All that you do, do it heartily to the Lord. Do it out of love for Christ. Whether it's the widow's mate or a larger gift. The sacrifice of practical provision. What about the sacrifice of preaching? In Philippians 2 verse 17 we read these words. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. You see, the whole of Paul's life, what did, from the day he was converted in the Damascus Road, what did he live to do? He lived to do this, to preach the word. To call upon sinners to repent and receive the gospel. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't shun to declare the whole counsel of God to all that would hear him in Asia. He preached that sinners might be saved. He preached that the backslidden might be restored. He preached to root out the false professor. He preached to help the struggling saint. And there's many of them. What about the sacrifice of personal presentation? Remember we read there in Romans 12, these words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's the theme of giving your whole self to the Lord, your whole body, by virtue of his blood sacrifice. Remember, it was stud that said, C.T. Stud, of Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now, I want to ask this. Just give me a few minutes. Are you doing all these things motivated out of love for Christ? Do you see tonight that this is your duty and responsibility? Because this is the working offering of the universal priesthood of Christ's church. The sacrifice of penitence. Confessing your sin because you have a broken heart. The sacrifice of prayer, praise, practical provision, preaching. You might say, well, I can't preach, but you could give a tract out. You could invite a soul to come to church with you. You, you could pray for a soul in the prayer meeting or at home. What about the sacrifice of personally presenting yourself to the Lord? Here am I, Lord. Use me. From the pulpit tonight, I know there's many absent, but I see you all. You think I might be blind, but I notice. And you know what concerns me? Many don't seem to have a big interest in God and the things of God. I know that tiredness can set in, but I have to ask this. Where's the fear of the Lord in the free church? Now, let's be honest. Where's the reverence for God, the godly fear? And you see, we should be praying in the presence of God, Lord, subdue my sinful heart. Lord, quash my evil mind. Lord, look in me. Lord, have mercy in me as I come into the house of God. Visit me with grace. Because of these working offerings of the universal priesthood. One final thing, and I'll just throw it at you. The witnessed objective of the priesthood of all believers. Ask yourself this question. How can we offer acceptable sacrifices to God? How can my 
How can God accept my offering of penitence and prayer and praise and provision and preaching and the presentation of my body? My offering's always polluted. It's tainted with much sin and imperfection. How and why would God listen to me pray? I'm a wretched sinner oftentimes in thought and word. How, how could God listen to me sing? How could God be pleased with my measly offering? How could God be pleased with my preaching? How could God be pleased with my presentation? Do you know there's an answer? Look again at Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Notice the words, acceptable to God, high by Jesus Christ. That's the key. I want you to see that. And remember what we read in Ephesians. I've already read it, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18. And here's a verse to underline. A good verse, a verse that will encourage you. Ephesians 2 and 18. For through him, that's Christ, we both, you and me, Paul says, have access by one spirit unto the Father. It's always and only by Christ, by the blood of Christ that atones for sinners. Not only is there an acceptable Witness, but there's an acknowledgement. Why do we offer them? Because we're aware of God's wonderful mercy and God's wonderful love to us in Christ. What did the publican pray? God be merciful to me, the sinner. You see, it's the realization, the recognition. God loves me in Christ from all eternity. He loves me freely, sacrificially, personally. God has been merciful to me. It's reaching the place where we would even really say, Lord, if you send me to hell, that's where I deserve to be. But you'll never be in hell if you're in Christ. You're, you're not in hell tonight. Why? Because God is merciful. God loves you in Christ. And here's the witness objective of the priesthood of all believers. My feeble, polluted offering is acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And I make the acknowledgement of God's wonderful love and mercy to me in Christ. May the Lord bless his word to us tonight. Thank you for coming.